right, shall we pray, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening. I've always said, this is the day that the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Now it's evening, Lord, and we have this special event uh, this evening for our two gentlemen. May I say that, Lord? And we thank you, Lord, for their uh, position in the church here after this um, this time. But Lord, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us yes, yes, on that cross of Calvary, the middle cross. And thank you, Lord, even at the even at Calvary, somebody got saved by grace through faith. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we have a Bible that tells us so, the word of God. Thank you for every book of the Bible, old and new. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we had a debt we couldn't pay. Thank you, Lord, for this evening. I pray you bless it, Lord. And Lord, may this be an evening of remembrance for both families and for us as well. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 226. 226, everybody stand. The great physician now is near. The sympathizing chin. some ushers to come. Amen. We're going to take up an offering. And then on the last verse of this song, we'll have our choir come up. The, uh, this is our normal Sunday evening offering. So let's remember that tonight. All right. Brother Ronnie, would you ask a blessing on the offering? Thank you for this night, the service this morning, Lord, and the message.
and thank you for the two deacons that were coming in tonight, Lord. We pray for them as they uh, begin uh, uh, with the deaconship of the, the others. We pray for the service tonight and for Brother Mike as he conducts it. Thank you for the singing here, Lord, and for the Holy Spirit that meets with us. We pray, God, for those that need to get saved that's been here, Lord. We pray for those that's backslidden, those that's sick. Bless this offering, and those have to give, and those do not. In Jesus' name, amen. And 117, 117, send the light. There's a call come the restless wait, send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue, there are souls to save, send the light, send the light, send the light. The blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore, send the light. The blessed gospel. Come on up on this last verse. Let us not grow weary in the work of love. Send the light, send the light. Let us gather jewels for a crown of love. Send the light, send the light, send the light. The blessed gospel light, let it shine for the shore. Be seated.
There's a lot that's been going through my mind as we've been praying about them in this day and me just preparing different things. And one of the things that's definitely in my mind is wanting to preserve what the Lord is doing in this place. Uh, we understand that we have to bring in uh, new leaders to work with us in the church. We have to bring in... Uh, for lack of a better term, young blood. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta bring in some some folks that. But at the same time, we need to preserve what God is doing in this place. The song I asked Daryl to start out here that we'll sing is the first verse of it says, "When He walks among us, all that He does, all of His mercy and all of His love, the presence of God is real in this place." And it is uh, not something we, I know we say it all the time, I get it. But Wednesday night when I was preaching, we even kind of mentioned that, that, that it's difficult to put into terms and to even say what the Lord is doing and how he's doing it. So when we bring in new deacons, when we bring in things that are going to be done, uh, that's why there is such prayerfulness about it. There's things that, that take place that sometimes we don't understand. And uh, maybe it doesn't, we talked about this often, maybe it's not moving as, as fast as some people might want, or whatever the case may be. But because it is so important not to lose what God is doing in our service time, not to lose what God is doing as he moves from heart to heart, because that's more important than any of all, of all this. It doesn't matter how big of a building we have, or how nice our, our facilities are, if the Spirit is God is gone, it's all in vain. It doesn't matter anymore. Boy, if there's anything I want us to keep our focus on, it's that what God has done is unusual, to pray for His blessing, to keep being bestowed upon us, to look for those things that are most important about what we are doing, and make sure they continue. Make sure they continue. We have been blessed, amen? And it's evident with all that he's done.
turn with me in your Bibles this evening to the book of Philippians, book of Philippians, chapter number one. Philippians chapter number one. And uh, I'm very honored to get to, to preach this evening for the ordination service for Jason and Eric. Uh, there's a lot that uh, is going through my mind, and I'm thankful for these men in my life. Uh, great, great friends. Uh, we've had a lot of experiences together. Uh, we've worked together, uh, we've ministered together, taught Sunday school together, and uh, just had lots and lots of time to be together, and there's still, it's amazing, there's still really about no one uh, I, that I can think of, preachers alike, that I would rather talk to about the Bible than Eric. Eric Beamer is one of my all-time favorite people to talk to about the Bible. He uh, knows the Word of God, and he loves the Word of God. And you know, when you love something and somebody else loves it, you're kind of drawn to those people, right? Matter of fact, we get in trouble a lot, like cantata practices, Easter play practices, because we'll sit over there and just talk while they're doing everything, and we're talking about the Bible, you know? We're like, what's going on? And we love the Word of God, uh, and that's just been a blessing. And then Jason uh, has just, is a uh consistent example of faithfulness in my life. Ever since, uh, I didn't know Jason very well, and he moved back from Virginia. Uh, he's my brother-in-law. Some of you might not know that, though, too. Uh, but just loving God, working hard, uh, loving this church, and being faithful to it. It's amazing to see what God has done, and also loves the Word of God. But he approaches the Word of God from an engineer's mindset. I don't do that. I look at it a little bit more poetic. And Jason, though, I'll tell you, when we were teaching Sunday school class, he would have some diagrams. Are you still got the one up there of like the trusses? It's still up there. And he had it all labeled out about the, the building, fitly framed. And I'm looking at that and going, wow, look at that. That's amazing. But it doesn't, you know, it didn't move me the way that it moved him. But anyway, uh, I'm just thankful for these men. Uh, and I don't want to make tonight about that kind of thing. I want to come to the Word of God. I want to be very plain and specific as we again talk about uh, their role in our church. And, and maybe just for a moment, the Lord's really been dealing with me about this. And, uh, and I can tell you, I have been struggling over this about like how to preach this. Uh, and, and I'm just going to do my best to let the Lord lead it as he would direct. And so our text this evening is going to start in Philippians chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first verse of Philippians chapter 1. Then our text, we're going to go backwards to the book of Acts chapter number 6, which you're more familiar with. But we're going to open up right here. And I think that we are going to address this role of, uh, that, that he's going to speak about. And we're going to think about our church very specifically. Uh, so Philippians chapter 1, verse number 1, the word of God says this, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, now watch this, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. 
So that's our text this evening. Paul and Timotheus writing their book to the church that's at Philippi. They, they started out like this. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, I pray that you'd help me tonight. I do believe that I need your help in a great way. Dear Lord, I am not worthy to bring a charge to these men as to the work that they would do. But dear God, without a doubt, we rely on the word of God to bring that charge. We rely on the Holy Spirit to ensure their calling. We rely on the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their individual life to make it sure and to make it fast. We do not bring to them a calling from this church. We do not bring to them a calling as a congregation. Those things have come from God. Those things have been confirmed by the Holy Spirit. They have been witnessed by us to be true, and we can confirm them. But dear Heavenly Father, the calling comes from you. And so tonight, dear God, as we charge them, let us charge them as according to the Scriptures. Let us charge them as according to the Word of God, standing fast on what it speaks about. Dear God, let us also speak with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that it would be evident in this place tonight. Dear God, we can come in a place like this tonight, preach a message directed to these men, but with the full confidence of the Holy Ghost. The moving of the Holy Ghost is still so powerful to convict a lost soul that might be in here tonight. The convicting power of the Holy Ghost still has the ability to speak to a heart that needs it. Dear God, we rest firmly on the fact that we are at a place where the Holy Spirit is evident and real. Dear God, we are thankful that we have experienced it, that we are still blessed by His presence. Dear God, tonight we pray that you'd help us for just a moment as we share what you've put on our hearts from the Word of God that we might share with our congregation and with these men who sit before us looking to execute the office of deacon in this church. Help us this evening in Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen. When we go to this passage of scripture, the reason that I go to this one is because here we see defined for us the offices that Paul is going to address that is in the church at Philippi. Now I'm going to tell you, I, I, I feel like in studying for this message, studying for this time and, and, and what's been going on, and as I've been thinking about this, I've gone down more rabbit trails than I ever have in any other study. And I think because there's certain things that are left unsaid that the Bible lets us talk about and certain things that it doesn't. If you know me also, you know that I really do not like uh, church, what you, what you might talk about as church government. And what I mean by that is I despise business meetings around here, okay? I don't like going to them. I don't like moderating them. I don't like any of that. I understand that they have to be done, and I understand that they are a part of what needs to take place. But I really don't like them. But on the flip side, I do enjoy when the Bible talks about how a church should be governed. I do care about that. And as a matter of fact, I find it very interesting when we come to the scriptures and we find how a church should be governed. Because the church and, and the Bible is 
very specific on some of those things that happens. And we find in the church at Philippi, and we find throughout the church that there's going to be three members that find themselves there inside of the church. He gives them to us right there, to the saints that are in the church. That one's easy to define. That's all of us. We are the saints that fill up the church. Now, I understand some of you might be saying, the person I'm sitting next to tonight doesn't seem much like a saint. I get it. But guess what? God's still working on them too. And don't go, you know, pointing fingers too hard because you've got a beam in your own eye, my brother. Amen? And he's still working on you too. But aren't we thankful that God, seeing us in Jesus Christ, calls us his saints in Jesus Christ? And so the body of Jesus Christ is filled up with the saints of God who he will fully sanctify one day in his care. But our placement in Jesus Christ and our standing in Jesus Christ is just as it will be one day when we stand before him completely sanctified. We are as good for heaven as if we were already there. Amen. And guess what? We are saints in God. So we're saints in here tonight. And then we find that he also says, with the bishops and deacons. With the bishops and with the deacons. Now, we're going to find in this passage of scripture a little bit of a loaded word with bishops. I'm going to try to be careful tonight. I have quite a few things in my notes. Like I said, more than I wanted to. It's not a time to speak about bishops but guess what? I feel like I want to later on. The word bishop is one that as we move our way through the New Testament, we do find often, we do find that it is almost interchangeable with the word elder and with the word presbyt that is not translated that way, but is often found that way in the Greek. And so that we see as we move throughout the New Testament that there are elders always in every church always has elders. When we go back to the book of Acts and we see that they went back across the churches that they had started, they did not go and appoint elders and deacons. They only appointed elders. It was a necessity in that place for that time. And so it was later on that we see in the church at Jerusalem that while there were elders there, while there were those there, that deacons were later needed to be appointed. And so we find an unusual thing that takes place inside of the church that we see that an elder is an absolute necessity, but for whatever the case may be, the deacon seems to be added somewhat later. And as a matter of fact, that system proves itself true if you go through and study the church history in the book of Ephesians and others. And again, like I said, we don't have the time to cover all of that tonight. Now... That might ask you the question then, where are the elders in our church? Amen? You might ask that question. Some of you said, well, yeah, what's going on there? Well, let me just say that as I look at the scriptures, I see the role of elder and I see it being filled often in our church. As a matter of fact, I see that inside of the deacons that we have, that the role of elder is often being met inside of that room as well. 
that there are places and things that they do that fill that. You might say, well, Mike, are you saying that elders and deacons are interchangeable? No, I'm not. And I'll get to that in just a moment. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I find so wonderful about it is I don't really believe, I believe that we are following a very biblical way of governing our church. Maybe we don't have all the names that might everybody might want to have everything, but yet I find a very biblical process. But I also want to make this distinction as we look at them as we move on. And I want you to put a pin in that. Can you put a pin in that? Elder and deacon, the difference between them and how we're going to distinguish them and make a little bit of a, uh, a point as we move on to the difference where they might find themselves and things like that. You can put that pin in it, right? Are you with me tonight? Some of you are like, I didn't think Mike was going to preach like this when he's charging deacons, did you? But guess what? Hold on and stay with me just for a moment because I do believe this is important to where we are going. And I really do believe that this is important for our church right now at this moment in time, okay? What I want to say, as I've been studying and looking into this, I came across a book, okay? I came across a book, and it's a really, really old book. And I'm looking for the, where is it? Here's my notes on this book right here. Here's the name of this book. The Scripture Doctrine of the Church, Historically and Exegetically Considered. It was written by Douglas Bannerman. And it goes all the way back from 1887. To find a copy of it, I found it in the digital archives of the Princeton Theological Seminary. I thought it was interesting that I found such a book as this in the Princeton Seminary Library, considering that institute is a lot different now than it was upon its founding. Enough said right there. But there in that place, it was first published in 1887. Okay? Now... I want to give you a short quote from this. I had a hard time even breaking this quote down, but I want to give you this quote. I want to give you a little section of it. I'm going to tell you, this book is absolutely amazing. I find it amazing how applicable these men who wrote books centuries ago can be, how applicable they can be. And oh, I know why, because they're using the Bible. Remember that? We always talk about that. This is what he says as he is talking about church government, the theological reason for it, as he's bringing things around. Here's what he says as he presents it. Every fellowship or society meeting for common objects or united actions must have leaders. We need leaders in the church, amen? We need the deacons, we need the pastors, we need the elders to fill their role, do what they should do. And these leaders, they must have leaders, and they must also have rules of some kind. Notice this, this is important. If the society be small in number and with little to do, the position of the leaders may be temporary and informal, and the rules may be unwritten or elastic, meaning they might change or you can stretch them, move them. But... There must be practiced rules, and there is a necessity for them. But, he says, as that organization grows, and as it finds itself growing bigger, those rules and those, uh, 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 
those leaders must find themselves to be firmer and more formal in their organization. It must be felt that as soon as the society grows in number and commits itself to a definite and a sustained action, no matter how large a group may be, there has to be rules, there has to be organization. And what he says there, and I hope that you're understanding that, as the organization grows, the rules must become firmer and the leadership has to be more committed to the goals and what is the the, the ice, what we're going after. It has to be there. You understand that, right? It makes sense too, right? We could use lots of illustrations to talk about that. I want to say that to our church. We are experiencing some wonderful growth in our church. We're blessed, amen? We're seeing growth in all kinds of different ways. One of the most exciting, and I don't want to preach on this or talk about it, one of the most exciting is we're seeing people saved, amen? Walking the aisle on a Sunday morning, meeting with people at young adults, getting saved in their discovery room class, getting saved in their Sunday school class. We're seeing God's gospel going forth and changing lives for all of eternity. That's awesome. We're seeing folks come from other congregations, and for whatever the reason, they have come to join with us and worship with us. May, I don't, you don't always know. Maybe they're coming for a place where the organization, where the, where the common cause of what they are aiming at seems to be lost in the shuffle or whatever it might be. But here we still seem to have our goal set on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our utmost objective. And because of that, I do believe it draws people to be in God's house with us. And so some have come. Others have come and have gotten saved later in life. And we've seen whole families added to the, to the work of, of God and what he's doing in here. Our numbers are growing. And because of that, you know what that means, right? Because of what we just said. Now, let me, tell you, let, me let you in on another secret. Okay, about this church. We're just a small country church. Amen. Started right here in the middle of a bunch of fields. Amen. A farmer gave us, gave this church the land. Said, we need a church here. And men stepped out by faith, built a basement, but they were farmers. They were, they were, and they started a country church that met and saw things. And guess what? Because there was not many in number, some, some rules were unwritten and unsaid. But guess what? Gentlemen, leaders of the church, as we grow, we're going to have to become more firm on those rules. Certain things that went unwritten and unsaid, we're going to have to make sure that they're, they're written down. We are already seeing and experiencing that, aren't we? that stuff we never thought we'd have to write down about, we're going to have to write down about. Amen? When we talk about who our pastors are going to marry, all of a sudden we got to write down what that looks like. We never thought we'd have to do that stuff. But guess what? As our society gets bigger, and as our right here changes, we've got to be firm on what we are doing here. 
We've got to make sure and settle what are the goals and what are the objectives because there's lots of people that might want to join with us who are not clear and might not have the same objectives that we have. So they need to know when they come in the door that it's not just unwritten. They need to know what we're all about. And I understand this. When somebody comes here from a Baptist church these days, it doesn't mean that they have all of the same convictions that we have. We always have accepted folks on a promise of a letter from a church of like faith. Just because it says Baptist doesn't mean they're of like faith anymore. There's some questions that have to go along with that. Serving with us in this place is going to mean that we're going to have to bring some of these. In other words, it's as simple as this. I know that you don't like it. And I'm not as crazy about it either, but God is blessing in this place. And we're moving from a stage of a small church to a large church. And I will say this, I believe with all of my heart that souls are important enough for us to make that jump to the large church. I know, I know that there's some things that it makes it more difficult to do. But you know what? We still do them. We still got that Christmas tree right, and it takes us an hour and a half to pass out all them presents. But guess what? We'll stand there for three hours if we have to, amen? Or we'll figure out some other way to get it done. We'll still have it. We might need a bigger building for that Thanksgiving banquet. It was hot in there last night, amen? There was a lot going on in there. But God will provide. God will make a way. God will see fit. And especially if we are careful with the objective that God has put in mind. As we move forward, it's not about building a bigger building. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and reaching more souls. Why do you build a bigger building? So more folks can come in and hear the preaching of the gospel. Why do you build a bigger building over there? So on Tuesday night, we can have more young people over there who are out there. And I'd have no idea... We had so many on Tuesday night that when I looked out there and we were, we were talking to them, I had no idea their family life, no idea of what their situation was like, no idea if they've heard the gospel once, ten times, or a hundred. No clue. No clue. I want them kind of people in youth group. It's an outreach of this church. And as we make that move, I know it's not fun. I know it means being more disciplined. And, and you can... You're hearing this straight from the person who likes it the least. We got to be more organized as well. I don't want to do that. You heard Robbie. I'm the least. I want to go just fly by the seat of my What are we doing today? That's how I operate. What's going to happen today? But no, we've got to be that way. And, and, and there's lots that could go in there. And I, like I said, I, I could put it all together. Let me do this real quick. I've preached past the time that I wanted to already. But let me just help you with this. And we'll, we can talk later about elders and deacons. And I, that is just so much. Let's focus on deacons. If we were to pull out a beautiful Strong's Concordance and we looked at that very word that's given to us in the book of Philippians there, the word deacon there is a servant, an attendant, a minister. One who by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church, cares for the poor, and has his charge of distributing the money collected for their use. Very specific. 
Why is it so specific? Let's turn back to Acts. Let's go back to the book of Acts, chapter number 6. Didn't mark it. I thought I marked it. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there you go, as they grew, as they grew, there was a necessity for the deacons. Let me just say this real quick as we go. The ministry of the deacon is very specific. It is the servant in the church. I think that one reason many places have abandoned the idea of elders and deacons is they view it as elders and deacons operate as a system of checks and balances in the church. They're almost like the House and the Senate, and they're going to come over here and say this, and if they're in agreement, then they're going to go. But that's not the biblical way that it is done at all. The elders that are in here in the church at Jerusalem, they saw a need that was in the church and being unwilling to leave the study of the, of the Word of God and the ministry of the Word of God in that place, appointed deacons to execute that office. It was so specific. I believe this firmly, and I'm, I'm very convicted of this from the Scriptures, that it is the job and it is the task of our deacons in this church to handle the money, the financial matters of this church, to handle them responsibly with the care and the direction of the church. But it is their job, just as our pastor said this morning, to care for the building, to care for the monies, the influx of it and the outgoing of it, to be good stewards of that. It is not my responsibility or the pastor's responsibility to make sure that the mortgage gets paid or that the lights stay on or any of that stuff or the grass gets mowed. It's the deacon's job. The deacon's job. That job is passed on down to them from the elders. When we have a biblical example of it, a deacon then is a servant in the church. As a matter of fact, you want to get down to a really, really tough, hard Greek word for it, it's an errand boy. What it is, they're an errand boy. You might say, well, I don't really like that idea. Well, that's, and, you, and some of our deacons might be like, I'm not an errand boy. Well, that's because you're an elder, actually. But anyway, I don't got to go into all that. But anyway, we got to keep moving. So much in there. We just can't deal with it all. Let's look at this real quick. So, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there was a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed and laid their hands on them, the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. There is so much jam-packed into that short passage of Scripture. 
but let's just think about this real quick as we look at it. They had an issue inside of the church and they kept the main thing, the main thing. The elders of that church didn't run out and say, oh, we got to take care of this. No, they said the most important thing is still the ministry of the word of God in this place. And so we are going to preach the word of God. We're going to be careful with the rest. We're going to, we might, it might take a while, it might be whatever, but this one thing right here, we're never going to stop doing. We're not going to stop preaching the word because the ceiling falls in, okay? Yeah, it might be a disaster. It might, maybe the church burns down and we got to deal with it, but that doesn't mean we stop preaching the word. We still keep preaching. Somebody will handle it. Somebody will take care of it. We got to move forward. So they, they kept that the main thing. And as they did that, they reached an understanding of where they would go forth and how they would handle it. Because of that, God blessed. They were growing before and they were growing at the end. That's all I'm going to say about that. Now, let's take a look real quick. And I can't believe this took so long to get here. Let's take a look at the charge as we look at it, these men. What kind of men were they? What are we expecting of our deacons? What are we expecting that's going on? Here we'll see it. Number one, he says in there, verse number three, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among ye, seven men, number one, honest report. Honest report. Men who have a good standing. Notice the report is not their report of honesty, but your report of their honesty. Anybody can tell me how honest they are, but what does his neighbor think about him? That speaks a whole lot more. What does his friends and relatives speak of him in his business dealings? What does his family speak of him in his dealings with them? What does his church members say about his attendance, about the way he commits himself to the... What do those that sit in his Sunday school class say about his handling of the word of God that should be of an honest report? All those things should be true as we go. He is of a high reputation, not of his own, but of those around them. Number two, full of the Holy Ghost, an evidence of the spiritual life that he lives. The Bible tells us that when we are gathered together, the Holy Spirit ministers to my heart, the Holy Spirit ministers to your heart, that our hearts strive together and truly our worship is with the Father, but it's evident between us that the Holy Spirit is there and is moving. I would say without a doubt, we experience that over and over in this church. Amen? You ever been moved during a service and you look over and someone else is moved and you're like, man, God's moving on my heart, God's moving on their heart, I like them, right? <laughs> Maybe you had a problem with them before. The Holy Spirit decided that in that service, he was going to mend your hearts together because it wasn't about that small thing between you, but truly your fellowship was with the Father. So in that service, you were moved and they were moved. You looked across and you said, oh my. Look what God is doing. Full of the Holy Ghost. Men who it is apparent Remember that other passage of scripture where it says, be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Ghost. 
that it would be evident upon their life that God is moving. The Holy Spirit has free reign and that we would see the evidence of it in what they do, in how they handle themselves, in how they worship in this place. Full of the Holy Ghost, self-controlled. Notice what he says also, number three, full of wisdom. They're full of the Holy Ghost and they're full of wisdom. An unusual leading and an unusual discernment by those that are leading our church. They're going to have to make tough decisions. They're going to have to look at things and have to be able to quickly say, what is God doing? We need them to lean not on their own understanding, but we need them to acknowledge God in all their ways so they can come to it and say, God, what are you wanting us to do in this? And remember what I keep saying. I feel like a broken record on this. When we are following his way, we're the smartest people in the room. I've heard deacons in our meetings just quote scripture. And they're the smartest person in the room. There is nothing greater than we could say than, be, than to be able to apply the word of God to the situation we are in. Guess what? If you're going to do that, you've got to know it. I already said it's like my hobby horse right now. I'm tired of hearing people say, well, what this means to me, or I feel like it means this, or blah, blah, blah. No, it says what it says. Study it enough that you know what kind of scripture to apply to what you're dealing with. That's important. A whole lot of us have no idea how to apply scripture. Why? Because we just don't know enough of it. Oh, man. Why am I preaching on that? Anyway, notice the men, and then I'll be done. Notice the men that we actually know about. The two men that are first mentioned are Stephen and Philip. So not only are you given the report of what kind of men they should be, but then you are given a biblical example of what those men look like. Can we just go on record tonight and say that Stephen are tough shoes to follow? Look at the same chapter, verse number 15. This speaks about Stephen. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him and saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. The Holy Ghost was evident upon that man. The Holy Ghost was evident when he preached that there was such conviction on him that everyone there had to do something with the message. Oh my. So not only, not only were these men full of the whole, they were preachers. Both of them were preachers. Biblically proclaiming the word of God. I had no, no time to do it tonight. But what a man of high standing. What a, what a man to pattern ourselves after is Stephen. You might say, Mike, there's just not much that we know about him. Oh, trust me. You go in and dive some deep and study on that. There's a lot about Stephen that we know. Anyway, and then we see Philip in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, chapter number 8, in verse number 5. Here's some things that we know about him. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. These deacons were preachers of the word of God. Preachers, proclaimers of the gospel. Knew how to handle the scriptures. 
You go back and look at Stephen's address to the council. Look at how he uses the word of God to make his defense for Jesus Christ. They were preachers. They know how to use the word of God. Then look at verse number 26 of chapter number 8. I love this too. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go down to the south, under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Notice, look, what the, look at that again, verse 20. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. And I want to have the kind of relationship that I hear the angel of the Lord speak to me when it's time for me to go do something. Deacons. Highest caliber of men. Full of the Holy Ghost. But yet ready to serve. Let he that will be first among you be the last servant's heart that's found within they would operate and execute this office well your heavenly father we thank you for the opportunity to look into the word of god tonight pray that you'd use your word tonight dear god as we move into this time where we're gonna pray over these men pray over their families as well dear god we pray that you'd bless this time we are thankful to know these men. Dear Lord, we just pray. We have a goal here at this church. That the gospel of Jesus Christ would be preached without apology, not watered down, but we would be plain and bold with the gospel. We are looking for these men to help us execute that operation. Dear God, we understand as our congregation grows, the commitment to it must be more defined. Lord, I believe that these are the kind of men that can help us define those things. They are men that possess those skills. They have a passion for the word of God. They have a passion and they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Dear God, you've gifted them with the abilities, I believe, to help keep us on track to do that. The Lord bless us in this time, in this moment, this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask these.